Hello, welcome to another edition of Kaiju Transmissions, a podcast dedicated to giant monsters and Japanese fantasy. I am your host, Kyle Bird, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Hey everybody, it's Matt. Yes. Uh, how are you, Matt? I am uh, busy and doing well this, this fine evening. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Today we have with us a special guest. We have uh, author John LeMay, and um, his newest book is The Big Book of Japanese Monsters, The Lost Films, and uh, that will be the bulk of this uh, conversation, I think. Uh, Matt and I had planned to do an episode on Lost Godzilla and Kaiju projects and unmade films, so um, this is... uh, going to be that podcast pretty much uh also uh the big book of japanese monsters volumes one and two uh are also um available and those are uh just very general review and trivia um books uh it's broken up into uh volume one is 1954 to 1980 volume two is 84 to 2014 um John, welcome to the show. Hey, Bird and Matt. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, we, yeah, we've yeah, we been trying to get you on for, for a while now. Um, so my question is, uh, well, three kaiju books in, uh, but also you do have some, some other books out there. Um, being from Roswell, uh, it does appear you've written quite a bit about aliens. Am I right? That, that is correct. Yeah. Any uh, sightings? First, yeah. Uh, I saw a UFO in a hot tub once. I didn't really think much of it. You know, wasn't anything exciting. <laughs> Not really. Um, true story. <laughs> so, uh, so you're down there at area 54, um, well, that, that's in Nevada. Bro. Oh. Uh, Roswell is like the UFO crash site, oh. and then Area 51 in, in Nevada is where they took oh, the, the. Okay, I'm such a noob. Um, yeah. <laughs> so well, I uh, John's on the show, so it's it's, yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Uh, well, how did you um, start writing? Uh, whether it's about aliens or cryptozoology or kaiju, um, how long have you been writing, and uh, exactly? Um, you know, is it something you've been doing your whole life or just, uh, within, you know, the last decade or so, how, how'd you get into just writing about these topics that, um, I guess I'll say are not, uh, uh, mainstream. (laughs) Sure. You know, what's funny, I actually owe my writing career to G-Fan, because I started reading it at a young age, and it's it's a pretty well-written magazine. I mean, the writers are all um, very good at their craft, and I absorbed that when I was very young. So, in a way, reading uh, all these writings by Skip Peel and Neil Reby and J.D. Lees, they, they really helped me to know uh, how to construct your sentences well and stuff like that. And my first article I ever had published was also in GFAN when I was, I think I was either 19 or 20. And I showed that article to someone who had a website. This is kind of a long story that I'll try and condense. But I showed my my first GFAN article to this guy who had a a website called mystrangenewmexico.com. And he invited me, based off my GFAN article, to do a whole column on Roswell, New Mexico once a month. 
And that led to a book on the history of Roswell, New Mexico, which was my first book um, ever like 10 years ago. And um, so I've, I've been writing history books before the Godzilla books. I did a, a lot of like New Mexico history books that would occasionally dovetail into aliens and Billy the Kid and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really excited to finally be writing like Godzilla books because to me, that's that's the most fun thing you can write about. So that's my my author history in a, in a nutshell. Okay. Um, and I guess we're in the big book of, uh, Japanese giant monsters. Uh, I have both volumes. Uh, what, I guess, why did you start with, with that? And why did you choose this format? Uh, for people that don't listen, I'm thumbing through volume one right now. Um, but each chapter, well, each movie kind of has a brief history, a synopsis, and then a review and some trivia. Um, so these are like, I would recommend these to someone who is maybe first getting into these and kind of wants a, kind of a, a ba- very basic kind of filmography um, and something that's very, they're very digestible, um, very quick, very fun reads. So uh, this is almost like... Um, it's almost in a way, and I mean this in the best way possible. Like they're like kaiju movies for dummies. Like the the way it's broken down um, is very easy for someone who is not an expert and doesn't not have like two hundred dollars to track down like the Ed Godzicheski and, <laughs> and Steve Rifle books. So, what exactly? I mean, is that was that something that was kind of intentional on your end? And why is that kind of the format that you chose for these books? I'm glad you asked that because there is like a very specific answer to that question. So I had bought a book on spaghetti Westerns, but I think the the author's name is Howard Hawks, but it was just a book on spaghetti Westerns. That was exactly how you just described my Godzilla Kaiju book. Um, And it's the company was called camera books in England and they specialized in like niche movie genres. So like they had a book on Asian horror movies. They had a book on Kung Fu movies they had a black exploitation book, and then they had the spaghetti western book. So in my mind, I thought, well, they don't have a Daikaiju Iga book yet, so why wouldn't they want that? And I stupidly just wrote the book because really, you should pitch a book to a publisher, and then see if they're interested, and then write the book. But I had so much fun once I got started. I basically just wrote the whole book, uh, kind of, kind of within their format, format, not entirely, but. And I sent it off to them. This was like back in 2013. And they either rejected it or the proposal got lost in the mail because I never, ever heard back from them. And then in 2016, you know, it was like, well, I have this perfectly good book sitting here. Um, I might as well just make like a Kindle ebook out of it. And I was so clueless when I was setting it up. I didn't realize I was setting up like a print copy through CreateSpace. I thought I was setting up the Kindle. Because I wasn't even going to do a print copy, actually. Um, and now I'm really glad that I did because the print copy actually sells much better than the Kindle version. But um, So, yeah, that, that's why that book is formatted that way. It was written for a general audience. And the only thing I did different um, was I added in all the trivia. And the trivia is the stuff that, like, maybe the diehard fans would enjoy more because it's it's got the stuff that... But I guess what you could say with the trivia, what I tried to include a lot of times were things that I had just learned in my uh, research, basically looking through Japanese websites. 
So I figured if it was new to me, it'll probably be new to everyone else as, as well. Okay. Um, and so giving it, these the option to have a print copies was an accident? Is that... Yeah, you're right. Exactly okay, right. So, I thought so I was setting the up that, the Kindle book. <laughs> the fact that I'm even holding these right now is just due to your own <laughs> technological incompetence. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Well, <laughs> well it sounds I'm like glad... Bird using a computer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like me trying to do anything. Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, that's a happy accident because I don't know if I ever would have uh, paid attention if they were just e-reader books. So. Um, well, that brings us to the lost films, uh, and um, I, I'm I'm gonna say I had when this book was first announced and I think put up uh, for pre-order on Amazon, I was like, oh, it's the big book of Japanese monsters guy. Those books were fun. I'll you know I'll I'll add it to my cart and see see what it's like. And I I think I really expected it to be. Um, in that same kind of stripped-down, very broad-appeal uh, format. And when I received it, not only is it about two times bigger than those books, but it's much more dense uh, and um, much more... There's just so much... I, I, was, I was blown away by how thorough it was, um, and like I said, where the other books are really like, you know, if you want to learn more about this stuff here, here's your gateway. This is almost the opposite where it's, this is something you pick up and read. If you are just a super diehard nerd and want to just consume everything and everything from, I mean, you, there's so many references cited, so many uh, different movies outlined in some way, shape, or form uh, that I how how what was the process like in writing this one? Uh, I guess well, I guess my first question is how long did it take you to put together the lost films? Because this is one where it just seems like the kind of thing that would have taken forever to research and prepare. Um, so believe it or not, um, that actually only took me about six months. Um, and I was, I'm see, I'm, I'm really fortunate because my dad and I used to run a business together. And so we could kind of work on our own schedule, you know, so I, I would have time to, to really manage my time and work on the book when it was convenient for me and then go to work when it was convenient for me. So, uh, just kind of due to my lifestyle, I'm able to crank books out, uh, fairly quickly, um, but the inception of the book, it wasn't going, I didn't know that I could make it this in depth. Um, so my initial plan was just that I had, I had had so much fun writing the first two books that we were talking about, you know, volume one and volume two, I wanted to write something else and the lost films were my favorite subject. And, you know, I thought, well, even if I don't dig up anything new, I'm still going to try and write this book. Um, you know, just scour the internet really hard. And then finally it occurred to me, why not at least just buy one of those Japanese books that, that reprinted some of the lost scripts, um, and just do my best to translate that. And my first attempt as crazy as this, the sounds, I did it by hand, so to speak. I didn't use Google translate, um, at first. I mean, I, I did eventually, but at first I was so crazy about this subject that, um, I was unaware of Google Translate, and I was actually 
looking up the kanji and I would write it out and then I would try and make out what the word was, then look that up in the Japanese dictionary. And the only script I actually did that with was um, the first few lines of Monsters Converge on Okinawa. And I finally realized, you know, this is crazy. This is going to take forever. Surely with today's technology, there's a way to do this. And um, so I started researching and I discovered what's called OCR software, which basically means you scan the page of a book and then the software will recognize the text and it will rip it off the page so you can you can cut and paste from a book, essentially. Then you run that through Google Translate and you get a really horrible translation. <laughs> I mean, it's really awful. So, you know, I would have to read these scripts probably twice, like really slowly to get a sense of what was going on. And the ones that were easier to figure out were the ones that were like proto versions of um, completed Godzilla movies. So that's why Monsters Converge on Okinawa, which is a proto version of uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, that one was a little easier for me because I, I could follow it because I had seen the film and it, it's fairly close. Whereas one like Godzilla Legend of the Asuka Fortress, um, you'll notice there's not a full synopsis for that film in my book. And that's because it was just so hard to follow. I didn't feel confident in transcribing a synopsis for it because, you know, there's there's nothing to compare it to. So, um, yeah, so very difficult at times, but also very fun. Okay. Um, well, you said that uh, one of your favorite topics in researching uh, these movies was unmade films. And I know, at least for me, I think my first big exposure to it was, uh, like I mentioned, the long out-of-print uh, Ed Godzicheski Godzilla Encyclopedia had a long chapter. And uh, every now and then, you know, things would turn up in, in G-Fan and, and stuff like that. What What is it about that subject that made you want to do this to begin with? I think it's because I'm, I'm a writer. I can relate to the writing aspect of it. So it really um, intrigues me to know how Shinichi Sekizawa would develop his scripts and they would go from this draft to that draft um, and how they would change, you know? So I think that's why the writing aspect um, appeals to me more so than how Subaraya brought the effects to life. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, usually, I guess, in this fandom, people are usually talking about the effects or um, things like that. But, um, yeah, it, it would make sense that if, you know, your big thing is the scripts and the writing process then uh, seeing how these uh, things are, I guess, uh, made and what they are in their finished form compared to, you know, their original ideas is definitely interesting. Uh, with with, uh, with the, the Lost films, um, I was surprised to see how even in the 90s, they were using ideas from scripts that dated all the way back to the 50s, you know, and seeing how, you know, things from 1955's Bride of Godzilla, uh, you know, trickle into something like Godzilla 1984. Um, and that, I think, is really interesting and maybe looks, maybe shows us what 
Toho do when they're trying to come up with a new movie is uh, it looks like, I mean, do you, at least in your opinion, do you think that that's something they commonly, uh, at least through the Heisei series, would go back to some of these old scripts and uh, pull different ideas yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they definitely file these ideas away, the ones that they really like, and come back to them. And the influence that really surprised me the most um, was Mick Anger's uh, treatment for a movie he wrote called Godzilla vs. the Mysterians. Because when I first heard of, it, heard of it, I thought, you know, this is basically fan fiction. I doubt there was anything to this, but I, I started researching it. So Mick Anger was a music video producer in Japan who was there when uh, Godzilla vs. Biollante came out. He didn't particularly like Godzilla vs. Biollante. He was more of a, a Shawa Godzilla fan. So he wrote his own uh, kind of Shawa-esque Godzilla movie called Godzilla vs. the Mysterians. And through his connections with this company he worked for, I think he worked for, for Dinsu. And Dinsu got wind of his little treatment he was writing. And they thought, well, we'll introduce uh, old Mick. We'll, we'll take him on a tour of Toho Studios and we'll let him meet uh, Koichi Kawakita. So this guy, Mick Anger, who, who, this American who wrote this Godzilla script, actually got to show it to Kawakita. And I can tell that it influenced Kawakita um, in a certain respect because a lot of uh, Mick Anger's Godzilla vs. the Mysterians takes place kind of in Nevada, kind of near Area 51. And what I think is so funny, about a year later, after, after Mick Anger had given Toho his script and Toho rejected it, uh, Kawakita writes this storyline, which is Godzilla vs. Mechanicong, and a, a very large portion of that story takes place in America at Area 51, and that's where Mechanicong is created. So I have to connect the dots and assume, okay, Kawakita, he liked that idea of Area 51, so he lifted that and used it for his Mechanicong movie, which was itself you know, eventually rejected. So these influences are very strange. They're very unexpected. <laughs> it makes me actually wonder. I feel like if if something like that were to happen here, it would be uh, a writers' guild nightmare. As in, the WGA is very <laughs> strict about uh, if someone's ideas have an overwhelming presence in a movie, they usually get maybe if, if they don't use that script, they might get a story by credit, or they would get some kind of credit. But uh, <laughs> if your book is to be uh, you know, believed it looks like they just pull ideas from these scripts, and I, I'm not sure <laughs> how much the original writers are aware <laughs> before you know the movie comes out. I think, uh, and and you mentioned at least uh, in a few chapters in the Lost Films, um, Guy Tucker, who uh, any anyone who's been reading. Western, I guess, uh, literature on, on kaiju movies should know the name. You know, he wrote the great book, Age of the Gods, and uh, a lot of work for G-Fan and Kaiju Fan and stuff way back in the 90s. Uh, you know, he he, uh, he pitched a script to Toho uh, in a couple things in both Godzilla vs. Biollante and Godzilla vs. Destroyer are uh, suspiciously similar, and I, I know that that upset him to no end to where uh, my first impression of him was from G. 
well, then it was called G-Con in 96. So the first panel I went to was about Destroya, which had just come out, and he was ranting and raving about how he had come up with all these ideas about a melting, uh, a melting Godzilla. And at the time, I thought he was crazy. But looking at this book, I think that you can, like you said, I think you can definitely connect the dots from his pitched ideas and then, you know like uh eight years later or six years later you know they show up in a movie and <laughs> that's correct and they almost did the the burning godzilla thing even before that they almost did it for the the 1991 uh godzilla versus mechanicong thing that was in certain drafts of that as well right wasn't the idea for that that uh he is having a meltdown and mechanicong has to like inject some uh scientists into godzilla to figure to like try to stop it like fantastic voyage kind of yeah that's correct yeah so uh (laughs) i don't know if they have a writer's guild or a writer's union in japan but uh they probably it doesn't it doesn't look like it's really a concern of theirs um so uh with um uh I guess another thing that I that impressed me again in, in just how how thorough and detailed it was. Um, like I said, I was expecting a more simplistic format because of your other books, but you have these little sections that I really appreciate, where you kind of debunk uh, certain myths or urban legends about some of these uh, things um, because you, you still see a lot of this stuff repeated. And one thing that Matt and I always try to do is if we know there's misinformation or um, things that people always get wrong, we always try to correct them. So uh, a couple things I want to give a shout-out to. Uh, excuse me, Godzilla versus the devil. That was never going to happen. <laughs> um and you explain in the book how you know that, and it comes pretty much straight from the sources uh, at Toho. But do you have any idea how that rumor even got started? Yeah, again, what's what's so crazy is as I was translating um, the information in Toho Tokusatsu Unpublished Works, it actually has a title in there called Godzilla vs. the Devil. But it's correlating to Godzilla vs. Began. So, because you'll notice that the Godzilla versus the Devil rumor was always that there would be three uh, transforming monsters, more or less, and that that concept is also present in Resurrection of Godzilla. You know, Godzilla versus Began. So, yeah, basically, Godzilla versus Began is Godzilla versus the Devil, and somehow that just got misconstrued in America. Yeah, and then there's other things like uh, Baragon, uh, you know, Angelus. Uh, taking the role of Baragon in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and you have a little uh, capsule thing in here that says that is not the the case either. And uh, is that one of the things where you think it was just fan conjecture because he was coming out of the ground? So, of course, it would only make sense that it was Baragon, who we know the suit was in bad condition and was unable to be used and destroy all monsters. 
Yeah, and I, and I wasn't really like the first person to debunk that. Somebody else did way before me, but I figured it was it was interesting and worth repeating. And it's it's certainly, you know, because he he leaps and he bounds like Baragon, it's an easy conclusion to draw. But I don't think the writers would have ever written that, you know, if they knew there was no Baragon suit. Yeah. One of the things I thought uh, was interesting kind of in relation to that is how they would just make up a monster name and then the monster would actually have zero attributes that happened at time with Megalon, for example, where, you know, Megalon, the idea firm would came about, you know, during the 1973 movie. But like before that, he met smog in pre in other drafts for other films. I think it was uh, in the original treatment for Godzilla versus Gigan. That, that's kind of bizarre to me because when I think about creating a monster in my head, I always thought, well, hey, they probably have this specific idea. But in most cases, it seems like they just picked a name and kind of went with it. And whatever that monster became was assigned that name. Yeah, that seems to be the case. And just recently I read like a, a the entire script for Godzilla versus the Space Monsters. Uh, for the book, I just used Ed Godzicheski's um, synopsis from his book. But I recently found the full like shooting script in uh, Toho, the Toho Champion Matsuri book, and so I went ahead and read that recently. And it it's Megalon doesn't get a real good description, but there is a description about Megalon as having a, an antenna with an eyeball on the end of it. I did read that, so <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, uh, one really cool thing about the book um, is the Appendix Three, which I really appreciate because. After going through all the books, you kind of give a brief synopsis, and then you kind of give the backstory and the history of the film and, and different scripts and the revisions. But in the back, you actually do a pretty good job of you provide the exact synopsis for many of – not all, but many of the films. So if you go to the back of the book, you can kind of read a more detailed account of all the stuff that you've notated throughout, which I found really helpful because for me – I'm, you know, being a nerd about this stuff. I want to see what the actual story says, almost as, as, in as much detail, I guess, as I possibly can. That was one aspect of your book. I think um, if you love this stuff as much as we do, I think fans should be really, really happy about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you also you do a very good job with um, things like uh, I mean the the. The legendary uh, Batman versus Godzilla, which is another <laughs> thing that's been kind of reported into weird circ like back and forth in circles over the years, and at least uh, from what your research has given us, uh, it looks like at one point Toho had Sekizawa working on that, or at least he had done you know a brief pitch or a treatment, and, but almost at the same time William Dozier. Uh, had his own uh, version of that going on. And so between the two, it's one of those things where, you know, facts get combined and and regurgitated as something else over time, like uh, playing a game of telephone. But, um, but that's another one, like Matt said, the whole um, story outline is in that Appendix 3. Um, and at least for me, some a lot of that is stuff that I have never seen or have never, you know, uh, heard. You know, if at the most, you know, even online, you you just see maybe a paragraph or two here and there. So, like I like like Matt said, that's really um, a really cool thing that I think should be a big draw for people is actually getting to read the story outline. Um, 
that and how you've pieced them together. Uh, also, a space Godzilla is another one, and that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, that is insane. That's a, that is. <laughs> I need to give a shout out to Kevin Darendorf because he's the one who posted that on Mazer Patrol. Yeah, they, yeah, uh, they I, translated yeah. it. Yeah, no, yeah, Kevin. Well, see, no, Kevin, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, Kevin's awesome, and and you know he's helped out the podcast. Uh, so shout out to him if he's listening as well. Um, so. Uh, Speaking of stuff like uh, Godzilla versus Batman and all these things that are, I guess at this point, known by by fans, um, we were talking about Bagan or Began or um, uh, Matt. I don't know how you say it, but you say it, you, you say it a third way. Probably uh, Bagan, but it, I'm sure that's not right. <laughs> Bagan, I don't know. Toho uh, really seemed obsessed with this this monster for the good good part of the the 90s and maybe even late 80s. Do you? I guess you having I guess read through and researched so many stories with this creature. Why do you think they kept going back to that well and? Do you, is in in because the fan base has a very strange obsession with him as well. Maybe due to him being the boss in the Super Godzilla game, I don't know. But is was there anything that stuck out to you about this monster as something that deserved to be, I guess, attempted so many times? I mean, he even wound up in uh, the treatment for Yamato Takeru too, which has nothing to do with Godzilla or anything anyway. Like what what is it about this damn thing that they couldn't let go? A light bulb kind of went off in my head just now when you kept saying they and Toho. I finally realized um, Began kind of died with Tomoyuki Tanaka. That's when they quit trying to use Began. So I think Tomoyuki Tanaka is the one who liked Began so much, and he was the one who was always pushing for him. Um, And I bet you, I bet you if Tomoyuki Tanaka had not died um, when Mothra 2 was being produced, I would almost bet that Mothra 3 would have finally been Mothra versus Began because I think he was the Began cheerleader. I think that was always him trying to inject him into those different projects. That would make sense, especially considering that we had a whole the whole Millennium series without him showing up anywhere. Because <laughs> I, I think he would have been a much better... Villain than uh, Orga, he would have been a better villain than Megagirus and Monster X. So, so yeah, I, I, just now it makes sense to me. It's probably he probably died with Tomiyuki Tanaka, and he also has that Heisei like feel to him, in that like he's he's it's like a really big bulky thing that is like super like overpowered, and I feel like in the Heisei era that was like. That was like every Godzilla villain, practically. Yeah, and they even there's even like this rumor that the Began suit existed at one time, but I think if that were true, there would have been like a photograph by now from someone, yeah. you know? If it was like the sixties or something when like no one cared, I would I would totally <laughs> I would totally see where someone like could believe that because you know they a lot of stuff rotted and deteriorated and stuff um matt's computer kicked him off but we can keep going and i'm I'm sure he'll find his way back to us (laughs) um so i guess uh were there any any things in the book that you 
wanted to find more information about and couldn't uh, just because it wasn't out there and there weren't any resources to find any more information? Absolutely. What drives me nuts is the Nessie script, the Toho Hammer Nessie. It has to be out there. And, And the really nice thing about that script is if I got it, it would be in English. I wouldn't have to like translate right. it for, you know, frustratingly. And I don't know where to find it. And someone was nice enough to, to give me a Nessie script. Uh, I was really excited until we both figured out it was a totally different. It was kind of a Nessie ripoff of the unproduced Nessie. It was um, called Sea Dragon of Loch Ness by John Sales. I think that's okay, how you say yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah. I know, I, yeah. I'm familiar with his work because he wrote Piranha okay. and Alligator and... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah. So I was really excited. And then as I read the script on and on, I was like, you know, this doesn't sound right. And then I kind of looked into it. And what's amazing though, too, is I think certain people have read his script um, and they have misinterpreted that as the Nessie script, because I would recognize things that I'd read about Nessie in this script about Nessie being this gigantic creature on the sea bottom that is only revealed towards the end of the script. And that's what happens in Mm. that script. So, you know, there, there are authors out there who, who have read that script and thought that it was Nessie. Okay. Yeah. I I'll say, um, the Nessie stuff is really interesting. In fact, uh, if I could choose, well, this is actually a question I was going to ask you later, but uh, if I could choose any project in here that we didn't get, if someone said, pick one of these and snap your fingers and it will materialize in front of you, I would probably pick Nessie. Uh, just, first of all, I'm also a big Hammer fan, in addition to being a big Toho fan. Yeah, and seeing, I, I am as well. So yeah. yeah, and seeing how they would put something together would be interesting, uh, especially like Hammer... Like they, they're they're uh, like Legend of the Golden Vampires with the Shaw Brothers is interesting because it it really does feel like, in my opinion, it's like the best of both worlds. I love that film, but um, yeah, what want me as well. I love that also. Yeah. So uh, in addition, in addition to that, I don't, I I can't believe that any of the proposed cast would have signed on, but some no. of the names <laughs> they were throwing out were really ambitious. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like you had, uh, was Roger Moore one of them? Yes, and that comes from from an article by Wes Walker, I think was his name, and I, I trust that source, so I think he's probably right. Yeah, yeah, there, and yeah, that was a fascinating uh, thing for me because even even though it was a co-production with a, a british studio i haven't even seen a whole lot of information in english i have some japanese books that show some of the concept art and things like that but yeah as far as actual story details it was all new um when i when i picked up this book um if you could choose any unmade film in the book what would it be Gosh, there's a lot of them that I want to see made. It's almost easier for me to list the ones that I'm glad aren't were like weren't made, like Bride of Godzilla. I'm kind of <laughs> glad wasn't made. Really interesting to read about, but uh, continuation King Kong versus Godzilla I think would have been a bad idea. Batman versus Godzilla I think would have been a bad idea. Um, the one I really really like because I'm a huge uh, Shawa 1970s uh, 
Godzilla fan is Tokyo SOS Godzilla suicide strategy. Because when I first read like the log line or, or the short synopsis for that, which is Godzilla fights an invisible monster. I thought, Oh man, this sounds like the lamest thing I've ever heard of. But when I read the actual story treatment, it was just like, it was like so awesome. Cause Godzilla has this character arc where he, he, he's blinded by the Japanese military who thinks that he's, he's reverted to his old destructive ways, but he hasn't. You know, Godzilla is fighting this invisible monster that huma- humanity can't see. So they wrongly assume that Godzilla is a bad guy again, and <clears throat> somehow they blind him. And then Godzilla basically becomes like uh, Zatoichi or Zatochi, yeah, however yeah, you say yeah. it, the blind swordsman. And that one might be the one that I would really, really want to see. Um Though I also really like you, like I'm really curious about Nessie. Um, I think that would have been really cool. And Mothra versus Began is another big one for me. Although if that one had been produced, it would have changed the Heisei Godzilla series to like a huge extent. Like we probably wouldn't have most of those other movies just because um, I guess Kazuki Omori had like this uh, four-part film series in mind that would have explored the alien origins of began and it would have taken the high series down like a totally different path probably. So maybe it's a good thing. Mothra versus began never got made, but, but yeah, Tokyo SOS actually, okay. I actually should point out before somebody else corrects me. I translated that wrong. It's not Tokyo SOS. It's actually Japan SOS oh, okay. Godzilla suicide strategy. So, okay. Um, Cause uh... probably a lot of corrections. Because Tokyo SOS, as we know, is a different movie. <laughs> Correct, yeah. Um, uh, now, as far as stuff that uh, I would w- maybe want to learn more about, um, and I'd heard about this before, and your book doesn't mention it any more than what I already knew, but um, when Toho were taking pitches for the American version, Clive Barker, uh, submitted a treatment or a pitch of some sort, um, and all we really know is that it got rejected. But I'm I'm actually a huge Barker fan. I'm not sure if he's the right guy for Godzilla. But uh, is that something that you ever were able to get any more information out of, or uh, or anything like that? No, I, like anything that I could cram into the book, yeah, even stuff that was kind of boring. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Matt yeah. has returned from the dead, by the way. Oh, hi. Well, well I, Matt, maybe you can, you can, you know, you can join in the fun. I asked John uh, if he could pick any unmade movie that's outlined in his book, and you know, snap his fingers and have it materialize as an actual movie in front of him. What would it be? If you could pick one, Matt, what would you pick? Man, um, probably Godzilla Resurrected, because I think uh, Begon is interesting in that particular treatment. I like the idea of three monsters eventually coming together and Godzilla fighting them kind of one at a time as they shapeshift. And then, uh, of course, I got it. There's not much in it in the book, but it's mentioned Kaneko's version of GMK, the, not the original one or one of the original ones, where had Varan, Angerus, and uh, Baragon, yeah. uh, as opposed to the, the, the Finnish version. I think those would be the two that kind of stick out i'm going through my notes too by the way and i was um there were some things that i that kind of stuck out like i didn't know mothra 3 um originally had the idea of rodan being mothra's enemy which i thought was just kind of interesting i do definitely think that they went the right route with uh, king Ghidorah. um 
And then Rebirth of Mothra was originally set in the same continuity as the Heisei series, which makes sense. But obviously the time travel thing kind of screwed up the idea of bringing King Ghidorah back from the dead where he would be resurrected by uh, magic or something with a skeleton head. That's kind of a bizarre uh, little fact. Um, Also uh, of note, and I was actually looking at the Shinji Nishikawa art book. I have uh, two of his books. And you talk about how in uh, Biollante... Nishikawa originally wanted Biollante to have like open his mouth, open her mouth four ways, and there's a picture of that in the Shinji Nishikawa art book, um, which is pretty awesome. So it's it's just cool to see all this stuff kind of come together. And you know, for the longest time, all we had was uh, scrounging on the internet for stuff that you weren't really sure if it were were not true. So this is a it was a really fun read. I think I read the book in like two and a half days. <laughs> so basically not. Wow. That's, that's a big, I'm honored. That's a big book for two and a half days. And the thing was, I wasn't, I'm, you know, I'm not an avid reader. What happens is I have to be really interested in a book to read it. But when I do read, I'm, I'm typically a marathon reader. So I, I basically sat down. I just kind of read it cover to cover as much as my, my uh, son would leave me alone and let me <laughs> when you're a parent, you don't always have that luxury. Um, but there's some really cool stuff in here. Also, I, I never put together that the the scene where Godzilla is kind of like picking his teeth and he has the uh, the telephone pole in uh, Megalon. I never uh, figured that was actually a, a tribute or kind of an homage to Zatoichi, where he kind of you know chomps on like the toothpicks or whatever. So that, that was actually kind of a nice little tidbit of information. So this book doesn't just have like the unmade stuff; it also has some interesting behind the scenes facts, and you can see everything kind of come together as as time progresses. <clears throat> Speaking of stuff like, uh, and well, I guess maybe going to fact checking and something that was impressive to me was uh, in the big book of Japanese giant monsters. In uh, it's either in the Gappa or Gulala chapter. You mentioned that at one point in the '90s they wanted to do a Gappa versus Gulala, um, which is nowhere to be found in the Lost films. Now, John, is this because you had, just as I had after trying to learn about that a little more, discovered that it actually was never going to happen? Yeah, so I had I got really lucky because I had hoped this would happen. Um, I, was, I wanted to ask Ted Johnson, who is the G-Fan features editor, I wanted to ask him to like edit my book, but I didn't want to ask him to edit my book because that's a lot to ask. And so instead I asked Ted to write an essay for me, and then to my surprise, Ted says, oh, I'll, I'll write you an essay, but I'll also be happy to edit the whole book for you. Because Ted, he knows a lot. Um, and so what I'm getting around to, though, is I think Ted was the one who told me the whole Gulala versus Gappa thing wasn't 100%. That might have been a fan rumor. Um, there, there was a Gulala relaunch planned for the 1990s, around 1995, but and I actually found the, I found a picture of the script um, from 1995, and it does not say Gulala versus Gappa. It's just a Gulala movie, so, so it's a possibility. I didn't want to put the Gulala versus Gappa yeah. thing in there in case it wasn't real, but um, yeah, no, so, I, yeah, because yeah. I, because as someone who had your other books, I was like, oh, it looks like he like retconned that it, because I had I had looked into it and saw it was. Most likely a rumor, also. So, so props there. <laughs> um, uh, and then um, a few other things uh, that are either mentioned or or left out. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you came across in your your research on this topic. 
Um, but uh, and I bring it up because I was going through some of my old, uh, like old G fans and like Markalites and like la- within the last couple weeks because I've been a lot of that stuff's at my mom's like in storage and I was helping her out with stuff at her house. But in the nineties, there was. Uh, some plan to do a co-production with Golden Harvest, uh, who do a lot of, they did a lot of like the old classic Jackie Chan films and stuff to, to relaunch Daimajin. Um, were you able to uncover anything about, uh, about that? Or is, is that something that you, um, were aware of? That is like totally news to me. So yeah, I'll I'll definitely uh, look into that. Okay. Yeah, because because uh, I mean, well, we we talked earlier, and you do still contribute to to G Fan and write articles and and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's one thing that I had forgotten all about. Um, and I, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about that and obviously it didn't get made. Um, and I think at one point there were rumors that Kevin Costner was being looked for, uh, or looked at to, to maybe be in it. But, um, but no, I mean, sometime this week I can maybe send you some clippings, uh, about that, um, Actually, if you just tell me like which issue of G Fan it's in, I, I okay. still have like all my old G Fans. So okay, I'll have to double be check. Awesome. Uh, I've I've been looking through all kinds of stuff like Markalite, G Fan, Japanese Giants. So I'll 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 go through uh, my stack and and yeah, if I can find anything, I'll I'll definitely forward it your way. And uh, I mean, if this book is any indication, you're very good at playing detective when it comes to this stuff. So. Uh, yeah, if I could like give you that as like homework. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd love to. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so a question that I actually wanted to ask both of you is, are there, what were the movies that were not made that you're just totally, what the, you know, WTF about this man, why would they even write this script? Cause mine would be <laughs> bride of Godzilla. Cause in, in like one of the treatments, if I wrote my notes down correctly, the basically has a, a robot that has the face of this guy, the creator's uh, daughter, but is, um, she's naked and she like fights Godzilla and Godzilla basically like (laughs) the reason he stops attacking is because he takes her to like this cavern and it's just, and they end up getting blown up in a nuclear explosion. I'm like, what the crap? And this was back in the fifties. This was, this this was 55. This would have been the first sequel. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking with it. <laughs> or it would have been the sequel to Raids Again. Okay, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, that's just so bizarre to me. Uh, that was one. And there's mermaids. Yeah, there's mermaids. How could you forget the mermaids? Well, it's interesting because, John, you you mentioned in the book, right, that Tanaka had, like, a weird, like, obsession with that script. Yeah, because he's, he's the one who saved it. And, again, in 1978... He gave it to Shuichi Nagahara and asked him to rewrite it, which is just insane. So yeah, he definitely liked it. And and just to address the whole naked thing real quick, I, I would imagine when it says naked, it's more like uh, Barbie doll is naked. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I but but still, it's definitely weird. Yeah. And um, maybe I'm rem- maybe my memory is faulty, but is that where we had the first appearance of the Shakilas, the the sea louse? Or did that yes, come that's, from? That's where they originated. Okay, okay. So again, this is something from 1955, guys, that it carried over into 1984. 
Um, it ate Cleveland's a pretty famous one. I think people knew about that. But the idea that a company would basically use Godzilla's likeness to propose a movie without Toho's permission, like as crazy as Toho is, you just you got to know better. And they even they even ran the the magazine clipping and uh, or ad in Variety. I just think that's companies are stupid. I don't understand what the what, <laughs> well, the <laughs> like. How is, could you do if, that? If, yeah, if people don't know, uh, Golan Globus Canon Films. They had a comedy about a dinosaur coming out of Lake Erie and attacking Cleveland. And at some point, they just said, just say, it was called It Ate Cleveland. At some point, they just said, just call it Godzilla versus Cleveland. Like, no one will care. Uh, it, it's almost like the blow-up that happened with Colossal a couple years back, but worse yep. in that... Far worse. Yeah. In, it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was definitely audacious. Um, and then John, another one is star Godzilla, which, uh, that would be my pick as well for like the weirdest and the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because, well, talk about that. Uh, star Godzilla was a random ad from, was it a Hong Kong studio? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the, the house director. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's weird as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, but that movie doesn't make sense. Yeah. A space Godzilla (laughs) is where the dead body of Godzilla washes up and it turns out he died from diabetes. And, (laughs) and and he's also a a woman named Roseanne. (laughs) Yes. Which <laughs> and don't, don't they turn his body into a they turn his body into a spaceship? Yeah, <laughs> and he has a fetus, and they harvest the fetus and and launch Godzilla into space, and then it like turns into an Italian sword and sandal movie where there's an army of Godzillas that have to to fight off these aliens, which actually sounds kind of interesting, but. But I, I mostly just don't like the whole dead thing getting converted into a rocket. You know, it's pretty weird. Yeah, but it's listed in um, Toho Tokusatsu Unpublished Works, by the way. So I mean, for those who think it was just a story in Starlog, it apparently was not seriously considered. But the house director did write that and officially turn it in. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, Obayashi, the the director, is uh, in addition to just being an. an odd interesting filmmaker you know he 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 was into godzilla and ashiro honda was uh a friend of his and everything but i don't know i don't i don't know that 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 is my answer to matt's like which one is just like a total wtf how did that even exist kind of thing um and then star godzilla is the one where they took out an ad in variety and was it like godzilla king kong and angiris yeah, on that yeah, poster, that and then, and then I guess Toho saw it and were like, "Hey, you can't just like announce you're making a Godzilla movie." And they were like, "Oh." <laughs> 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 uh, wasn't that also the one though that was later paraded around as like uh, April Fool's joke or something? Because nobody really knew yeah, about I it. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I think what. Well, what, I know what you're talking about. What had happened was one of the, it, this is like the earlier days of the internet. One of the old B movie sites, Barry's Temple of Godzilla or something, wasn't I, it? No, I think it was. Uh, I don't think it was Barry's. I think it was Stomp Tokyo. Yeah, it was. It they, was. They, it was had, they had done a fake review on April Fool's Day that used uh, like screen caps from obscure kaiju movies, like Inframan and and stuff like that. And for some reason, even even though each letter of each paragraph in that review starts with one of the letters in April Fool's, 
And at the end, it says Happy April Fool's Day. For some reason, people kept, like, re... This is before Twitter, so not retweeting, but kept, like, sharing that and, like, thinking it was real. Oh, actually, John, I might have to... Ooh, it's tough, because I just remembered one. I might have to scrap Nessie for the Takashi Miike Daimajin reboot. And see, I feel bad because I didn't even include that one, and now I really want to go research it. Oh, you didn't? Did, no, did you say I... the Majin reboot? Yeah, Takashi Miike in the mid two thousands. Oh, so there was another another reboot? Yeah, on okay. top of the Kevin Costner one. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about this off the air because if I I expect a full report from you. On my desk. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed because now I'm going to have to buy that book and I'm going to have to translate it. I smell an article for someone. Oh, you, you smell a revised and expanded second edition about two years from now. <laughs> well, th- this honestly, John, this is like the kind of book that over the years you could just keep expanding because I'm sure we'll keep learning new things, new movies will keep falling through the cracks where you could. I definitely will. Like, I feel bad about that because like, I don't want anyone to think I purposely withheld something just for a second edition, but I've already learned like a ton of stuff. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm definitely already well, it's, revising it's those, and adding to it. It's one of those topics it. where the information flow is never going to stop. Yeah, you know, because we're looking at a genre that is has been. I mean, the, I mean, you have things in here going to these Japanese Kong movies in, from the '30s. You know, it, like this is the kind of thing that you're. You, the more information is going to keep coming out, and it, the longer they keep making Godzilla movies, the lo- the more unmade projects we're going to get because there will be different drafts of the script and this and that. Like even the 2014 movie, there's like a few different scripts floating around. So, yeah, it's one of those things that you could do a volume two or a second edition with no problem. Absolutely. I will say this. There will be a sequel that's more like a spinoff. So it won't be like revised and expanded edition. It'll be, it'll be like a legitimate sequel. But um, I have the scripts for Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor and some other just non-monster Toho Tokusatsu films that didn't really fit this book so like definitely by next year i should have something about that out yeah frankenstein versus the human vapor uh i think you have that included in like you know one of the appendixes but yeah yeah you are it's page 224 yeah i mean that's another one that i would love to hear more about um and then uh I think like invisible it was invisible man versus the human torch that was another one around the same time yeah, I've I've got that one as well, so that'll be included too. Um, I don't know anything about it yet because I haven't like scanned it and translated it, but I'm definitely going to. Um, I, I didn't know, and this is just common knowledge, but like I, I, as I'm reading the book, I'm making mental notes of all the stuff. That I'm like, man, I never, I didn't know that, but I didn't realize that um, Shinichiro Kobayashi, the guy that that wrote. Uh, Godzilla vs. Biollante, the first iteration of it, was also a writer for The Return of Ultraman, who wrote in episode 34, he basically has kind of the same basic story that a scientist combines DNA of a plant, in this case a lizard, that ends up finding Ultraman Jack, 
and that that battle actually happens in uh, Lake Ashino, which is where Godzilla fights Balante the first time, which I thought was interesting. Like it, it's always interesting to me to see how this stuff evolves over time. And as Bird, we we talked about this, but like stuff from Bride of Godzilla that eventually ended up in you know Godzilla 1984, the stuff from uh, the 1985 script that Guy Tucker wrote that ended up being part of probably anyway the the stuff from Destroya. So like that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. Um, I do have a question about, you know, the, the translating, like is how I'm sure that was painstaking because, you know, you're, as you mentioned, you do, I, I know what app you're talking about or the software cause I've used it before, but I've always found that software to be pretty lacking and Google translates garbage for the most part. So like how much fact checking could you do? And like, was there, was there anybody else that involved that kind of helped you with the process? Cause I, I'm, I can't imagine the headache that you went through having to translate all this stuff. Yeah. Well, again, that kind of just um, comes down to like really putting your mind to it and being a good detective because like I translated a new script yesterday that has Mickey Sagusa in it and I know she was in it, but it would keep, it would keep saying like Mackie or Macca and I eventually figured out, oh, that's Mickey and you know, things like that. So some of those were like, again, if, if it's a script that's, that's like, um, a proto version of a finished movie, it's a lot easier because you can fill in the blanks for yourself. Whereas if it's like a totally original story, that's where it's really hard because it's, you know, you just don't have anything to compare it against. So again, like I said, that's why I, like I would have to read it like twice at least to really get a good handle on it. And I'll also say this, I mean, that there are errors in that book that I don't, I don't even know about yet. You know, someone who reads Japanese one day, is probably going to come up to me and say, well, you got this part wrong and it's actually this. And I'll actually be grateful for that. And I'll revise it, you know, cause I was just doing the best that I could. So, um, but I mean, it's still fun though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was in the, uh, Godzilla versus Asuka fortress chapter where you, you're referring to the protagonist as son of heaven but I think you even made a note that you were like, I couldn't tell, I couldn't figure out what tra- the tr- translation was trying to tell me this guy's name was. So, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. For like emperor, that's the word for the emperor, which would be kind of weird for a movie, right? And and Godzilla versus Asuka Fortress, of course, is the movie that ended up becoming Gunhead, right? Yes. Yeah, and I was hoping that like seeing Gunhead would kind of help me, but there's not really very many parallels <laughs> between the two. Uh, wa- unfortunately, wa- watching Gunhead yeah. helps nobody ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, the, the no, that was one where I was like, because I mean, you're pretty upfront about like when there are moments like that where you are just saying like, I it might be translation issues. But I like you're very upfront about saying I'm not going to pretend I know what it was trying to tell me. And and there's a few po- points in the book where you do that. And I think that it helps put kind of put everything in the context of, you know, you're going by what's available and and by your own resources. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's it's a lot of painstaking trial and error. And it sounds like a pain in the ass to even do that, but you know, it's all, you know, I, I think in the end it was, it's very rewarding. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff in here that you aren't going to find online or, uh, you know, 
just anywhere just because you really went to the source with going to the Japanese sources. And that's not something most people have the patience or the, you know, the fortitude to, to go and do. So, so yeah, bravo on that. Yeah, well, again, that kind of just um, comes down to, like, really putting your mind to it and being a good detective because, like, I translated a new script yesterday that has Mickey Sagusa in it, and I know she was in it, but it would keep, it would keep saying, like, Mackie or Macca, and I eventually figured out, oh, that's Mickey, and, you know, things like that. So some of those were, like, again, if, if it's a script that's that's, like... Um, a proto version of a finished movie, it's a lot easier because you can fill in the blanks for yourself. Whereas if it's like a totally original story, that's where it's really hard because it's, you know, you just don't have anything to compare it against. So again, like I said, that's why like I would have to read it like twice at least because I was just doing the best that I could. So, um, but I mean, it's still fun though, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think it was in the uh, Godzilla vs. Asuka Fortress chapter where you, you're referring to the protagonist as Son of Heaven, but I think you even made a note that you were like, I couldn't tell, I couldn't figure out what tra- the tr- translation was trying to tell me this guy's name was. So, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. That's yeah. For, like emperor, that's the word for the emperor, which would be kind of weird for a movie. Right. And and Godzilla vs. Asuka Fortress, of course, is the movie that ended up becoming Gunhead, right? Yes. Yeah, and I was hoping that like seeing Gunhead would kind of help me, but there's not really very many parallels <laughs> between the two. Uh, watch, unfortunately, watch, watching Gunhead yeah. helps nobody ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> you know, you're going by what's available and and by your own resources. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of painstaking trial and error and it sounds like a pain in the ass to even do that. But, you know, it's all, you know, I, I think in the end it was, it's very rewarding. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff in here that you aren't going to find online or, uh, you know, just anywhere just because you really went to the source with, going to the Japanese sources and that's not something most people have the patience or the, you know, the fortitude to, to go and do. So, so yeah, bravo on that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I I appreciate it. You know, I, I was actually hoping someone else would write the book. You know, like I kept waiting for Ed Gajewski or Steve Rifle or August Dragone to come out with a, a book like this, and and they never did. And you can't really go to an author and be like, "Hey, would you please write this book?" So, but, <laughs> right. you know, I guess I'll I'll just do it. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where if no one else is doing it, you, sh- you just do it. <laughs> and actually, Mark uh, Aramio, one of the the contributors, even told me he was like, "Yeah, I'd even thought about writing a book like this, and I'm really relieved that you did it." And he signed his copy to me because I, I brought one to G-Fest and had all the contributors uh, sign it. And Mark signed it. Thanks for writing the book so I don't have to. <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know, he, he's uh, all into the obscure stuff. And, and yeah, this is the kind of thing I, c- I could see him doing that. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's the most comprehensive thing we're probably ever going to get on the the subject. And I think if anyone has any pa- even uh, passing knowledge of 
Godzilla movies that almost were, or if they're interested in seeing how one screenplay can morph into a movie that's wildly different, you know, I, I, I think that this is, like, required reading, really. Yeah, I can't recommend the book enough, honestly. Uh, it was a fun and honestly kind of a brisk read, which is great because it it's not bogged down with a bunch of stuff. I mean, like everything seemed meaningful, and um, I appreciate that. And, it, you know, for being a book that's over 300 pages, there's a ton of stuff in here that I didn't know. And if you're a Godzilla fan or just a monster fan, I you need to pick it up. I mean, it's, it's a quick read. And you're going to learn a ton of stuff that you probably didn't before. Plus, it you know it expounds on stuff that we've all probably heard of, and gives a little more meat to some of the rumors, and also dispels you know some some myths that are out there. So yeah. I think that's really important, honestly. Like the whole Jet Jaguar was Godzilla versus Megalon started as a Jet Jaguar movie or a Jet Jaguar show. Again, is is BS. <laughs> Yeah, I wish I wish it were true because I think it sounds cool. But from right. everything I can tell, yeah, it's, it's not real. It, um, oh, John, did you get to see in in looking at that? Did you ever get to see the original Jet Jaguar like design that the that won the character contest or whatever? Yes, it's quite hideous, isn't it? Yeah, and it looks no- <laughs> <laughs> it looks nothing like him either. No. <laughs> No. It's funny. That's one thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I wish so bad I could have pictures in that book, but I, I, I knew better, so I didn't put any. But yeah, yeah. Is the yeah you have the it ate Cleveland and you have the the Japanese King Kong uh, appears in Edo and uh, I I think yeah I think those are the only pictures which you know yeah. I I understand and I know specifically why. I have the non Godzilla it ate Cleveland right which I hope you notice yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> There and is I, a I say that for any Toho lawyers that are listening. <laughs> yeah, there is a version of that poster with Godzilla versus Cleveland on it. And yeah, you have the original It Ate Cleveland. Um, oh, you know what else was a good one that we should talk about? Um, just because, I mean, at this point we're just having fun talking about uh, the different projects that, that have uh, sec- sections of the book. But another one that I actually really liked was Kaneko's uh, Godzilla versus M which was a weird, uh, I would describe it as a weird version of, like, The Incredible Melting Man or something like that with Godzilla, where this this astronaut went into space, and when he came down, he became a monster. So it's also very much like the Jamila episode of Ultraman, only with Godzilla. And that was a weird, weird story pitch. Um, and I can't imagine what that would have been like. Definitely very off the wall, and that's one of those. Like I, I didn't find any Japanese sources on that, but yeah. And it's interesting that uh, in the script, and uh, this actually carries over to GMK, although GMK doesn't really make a point of it. Um, but at least in Godzilla versus M, uh, Japan is called the Republic of Japan or something, and they have an active military. Um, very different, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that, you know, Kaneko uh, seems pretty left-wing, and uh, he he's a, a very, very staunch pacifist, but he does seem like he's in favor of Japan having an active military because GMK also presents us with uh, a kind of fake version of Japan that has an active military, and I thought that was super interesting. 
And the other thing that carried over from that script as well was the the father daughter thing because most of the the human storylines have some sort of a romance, but in both of those it was a just a father daughter relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and Matt, you had mentioned you liked the Godzilla X Baragon Varan and Guris. Did you see that Toho Kingdom actually recently put up the synopsis for that? And it's actually more different than you would think. I've seen a brisk synopsis of that, and I've seen the picture of some of the uh, the Anguirus design and the 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 Varan. Actually, I think um, M1 actually made a a figure. Uh, Varan, um, that's very. There's not many made, but but it's it's kind of out floating floating somewhere. Um, but yeah, I have to check that out. I also liked, uh, or this is a bizarre story for some of the stuff for Godzilla versus Destroya. Like Godzilla dies, Junior dies, Mickey Sagusa kills herself. <laughs> what is going on in that yeah. story? Yeah, yeah, and and to piggyback on that. Um, and that kind of came out of uh, – that's also at the time where they kept thinking of Godzilla versus Godzilla and Godzilla versus Ghost Godzilla and the idea like there's a – like it, Godzilla versus Ghost Godzilla I think it is where – Godzilla, the Heisei Godzilla fights Junior, who's possessed by the ghost of the Japanese Godzilla, but him being possessed has caused him to grow unnaturally, and so, like, he's going, he goes through this, like, Cronenbergian body horror thing where, like, his skin is ripping, and, like, John, what's with that? What? <laughs> <laughs> I... I think that was that may have been all Shinji Nishikawa's idea. Who knows? Because he his like, yeah. his designs, yeah, held, held a lot of sway apparently, and and I think sometimes like Toho Kingdom just posted this thing about Mazer King Ghidorah, like a like an alternate version of Mecha King Ghidorah. You know, and those are things that I don't think were ever in the scripts. I think Shinji Nishikawa and the other artists they just go crazy, and then Toho puts these things in these art books. You know, and you think, oh, that was probably in a screenplay, but maybe it actually wasn't. You know, like I think the Ghost Godzilla thing, yeah, that probably was in the script that that Junior grew and all that. But um, so, like I said, just these artists, you know, have a lot of sway apparently at Toho, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah Nishikawa has um, designed so many monsters for yeah, them. I, mean, I, I have one of the Japanese books, and speaking of Bagan, uh, like the the thing in Nishikawa's art book all about Bagan, there's like practically like dozens of designs, and they're all like radically different. Almost like they just said, "Here, just draw like a bunch of different things, and we'll pick one." <laughs> like, uh, like there's ones that look have more have like elephant trunks, and then there's ones that are a lot like the ones everyone's familiar with. And so yeah, I think I think the artists, it's weird. Like Toho lets them go wild, and then they almost pick like the most boring <laughs> version of those designs, which I'm sure has something to do with budget and what they can make. But that's another thing is looking at these, you can tell some of these, it's like, no, there's no way that they would have been able to have the budget to make this. I have, um, a lot of the Godzilla picture books. I have like Heisei Chronicles. I have the Heisei Perfection book. I have a couple of Nishikawa books. I'm trying to find, I really want to see that, uh, crazy mutated skin deformed Godzilla junior design. Cause I've been looking through the Nishikawa book and I haven't, haven't been able to find it, but I, I haven't looked at the second book yet. 
Yeah, definitely. You can find it on Toho Kingdom has it. And I don't know for a fact that Nishikawa drew that. It just that's the first name that that sprung to mind. Yeah, well, he's like one of the most that time period, like through Heisei through Millennium, he's like the most prominent designer. But you you do name drop a few of the other artists in the book as well. And uh, it also gives sheds a little bit of light on that. Uh, I'm sure some people might be familiar with the Nishikawa art of a weird kind of morphing Angelus. And like at one point, it looks like he has wings, almost like those weird stills from Raids Again. Um, and that carried over from what was what was the name of the monster, John? Uh, God, sure, Burra. Yeah, so. It was some weird. Bar, I don't know how you say it. Baru Boroi. It's like a weird B name. Baru Boroi. And it's. So I don't think Angurus was ever in Godzilla versus Ghost Godzilla. I think he was only in the Godzilla versus Baru Boy or however you say it. And what really happens is. I don't think Angurus was supposed to be in that one much. Um, the, the, the monster Baru Boy, he takes on Angurus's form. And that also was all Shinji Nishikawa. He was the one who tried to cram that in there. And Koichi Kawakita told him, no, I don't want to do a four-legged monster because they're just too hard to bring to life through suitmation without a guy crawling around on his hands and knees. So that's why Angurus got the axe. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Um, and yeah, like, there's other things about that early draft of Destroyer also, like... Um like early designs of Godzilla uh, Jr. having more of a velociraptor kind of posture, um, uh, and uh, and yeah, this is, John, I, I have it open right now. This is where you mentioned that um, uh, uh, Yos- uh, Yosuke Nakano designed a Godzilla Jr. shedding his skin to become a pure white Godzilla presumably after absorbing Godzilla's radiation at the end. So... I don't know what their deal is with Godzilla Jr. like transforming and his skin ripping, but uh, no, definitely some interesting stuff there. How at that point that was referred to as destroyer and not destroyer because they can't copyright a word like destroyer. Yeah, and I was young enough, I actually read about. Like to me, Godzilla versus Destroya still is destroyer, just because. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so that, same yeah. that's what everyone was calling it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't. I don't like destroy as a name. I, I actually prefer destroyer, but I, you know, I get it. Hey, what do you guys think? This kind of maybe gets us onto the subject we shouldn't dovetail off into. But what do you guys think of the rumor that in uh, Godzilla versus Kong they're going to team up against Destroya in the end? <laughs> if I don't, I mean, if they're going to team up against anyone, I think it'll be King Ghidorah. I really want to see Kong fight King Ghidorah. I've always wanted to see that. But I also like I kind of like this idea that um, that they're almost uh, maybe copying Batman versus Superman just because I think it's so funny to have Kong and Godzilla fight kind of because Destroy is kind of like Godzilla's version of Doomsday. Right. You know, it's kind of how I see it. So I think that's really interesting. But yeah, I I don't know. I, it, it is interesting. We, we, there are some other plot tidbits that we know about the film that I, I probably common rumor and confirmed at this point that I don't really want to say and ruin somebody's day and tell them how the movie might end. But there's a reason why you could think that movie could tie destroy into it. But like, I, I don't know what I, I do think Kong and Godzilla teaming up is kind of the natural route that the movie could probably go. 
but the director's gone on also gone on record saying like he wants a definite winner that because we we didn't get that in the original film obviously um i don't know that's kind of bizarre i'd rather see them fight king Ghidorah myself there's a you, you actually bring it up in the book there's a Sonorama or whatever that magazine um, that does a bunch of those crazy covers has a picture of Godzilla and King and Kong fighting King Ghidorah and that artwork is incredible. Uh, it made yeah, me long for yeah. for, <laughs> for that fight to yeah. actually happen. <laughs> a lot of that old Sonorama stuff they were like uh, vinyl LPs that would tell stories and some of them would not be you know based on any movies. So there's ones that are just like about like. Rodan versus Manda and stuff like that, and yeah, no, I, I agree that that would be very cool. And um, one thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, in Final Wars, it was originally supposed to carry over the Heisei continuity, which uh, John, I, did you ever come across a reason why they would have made that decision? It just seems strange. So I first read that from from uh, an English-speaking fan online, and I tend to be very wary of anything that an English-speaking fan, you know, puts out there that's like, you know what I mean, they're non-Japanese, so who knows what they may have heard. But um, Ted Johnson apparently has a friend in Japan um, connected to Toho who tells him a lot of these things. Um, and so when Ted told me, yes, that was Godzilla Jr. And that did start out as a, a high safe film. And he said the evidence too of that is the fact that it's uh, Akira Nakao or, or General Aso is piloting the Goten along with um, the other actor who was always with them at G-Force in the high safe films. Uh, the fact that those two are together in, in the Goten at the very beginning, that was supposed to be General Aso. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah, and it's also well, mentioned in here that there was an interview in G-Fan where Tamiyama had, had to uh, kind of discuss that a little bit as well. Yeah, and I would think Tomiyama probably loved the Heisei series because that was more of the heyday. The Heisei films were so successful compared to the Millennium films, which brought in typically like half the attendance of the Heisei right. films. So I think it's yeah. very natural he would want to. Yeah. Well, one day I hope uh, maybe someone can talk to Kitamura a little bit about what he originally wanted to do when they brought him in. His pitch was just to have a solo Godzilla movie. And he described it as like Con Air with Godzilla, like it had something to do with convicts. Uh, oh like, well, there's there's another revision from my book. I didn't know that either. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's as much as bit that's been said. Like no one's ever seemed to like probe him about about more of more information on that. So yeah, no, that's something that uh, hopefully one day we can learn more about. And I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were saying about how. I mean, a lot of this stuff, like, I'm sure Clive Barker, you know, he it's not his mission to go out and tell people what his Godzilla treatment was. And I'm sure when that information first came about, he probably just mentioned in an interview, oh, and I, I turned in a, a draft for Godzilla, but they didn't like it. And, uh, you know, most people probably aren't thinking to ask Clive Barker, please tell us all about your... Godzilla that that never happened. Yeah. You know, people want to talk, ask him about, well, what what what's going on with Hellraiser? What's going on with this? You know, and so I think a lot of the time is people just don't ask a lot of these guys to you know to elaborate on some of these, and so that's why, I mean, you know, if they're still around, you know, 
eventually information will come out. Like, uh, it's in the book, John. Um, and this is actually another one I really would have liked to see is uh, there was going to be a, a low-budget Hollywood-produced sequel to Godzilla 2000 directed by Joe Dante, who did Gremlins, The Howling. Uh, and I, I love Joe Dante, and I've always found that the way that he makes his movies tongue-in-cheek uh, for modern audiences is, always, is, is very smart in a way that a lot of filmmakers don't do. And so I think he would be able to match the tone of the American Godzilla 2000 and do something interesting with it. And um, uh, I remember when they first, Sci-Fi Japan first ran, like, that is an exclusive, and they, that was only a few years ago uh, that we found out that that movie was even in the works anywhere. And that's something that would have come out in, what, 2000, 2001, and we just learned about it maybe five years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that just lends more to... Uh, you will be writing books about this for the rest of your life <laughs> if, if you keep up on uh, on you know new revelations and and things because I mean I'm sure there's more that we don't even know about. Yeah, so like um, I've never talked to Steve Rifle and I wanted to talk to him at G Fest this last year and I never got the chance, but I definitely want to ask him about that script and if he can maybe connect me to someone who has it or if he can share some additional details or something because because I know that script is out there and it's uh, in English as well. So yeah, yeah, and and over the years, like it's been a lot easier to find scripts online. But yeah, I, I wonder if things like that studios are very protective of because since they didn't get made, it, maybe it would be easier for someone to lift ideas from them or something. But but no, that's another yeah. one that you know, I mean, no one knew about that until almost ten years after it would have happened. So yeah, I mean, these little details are always coming out and. Uh, to have someone who voluntarily has decided, you know what, no one else wants to be like the historian for this. I might as well just do it myself. Uh, you know, that's that's one that, that that's very uh, like we need guys, more guys like you that will do this homework for us. <laughs> well, I, I enjoy it, obviously, you know, but, oh, and I have to mention this because this is another like new film or, or aborted film just discovered was uh, Steven Soderbergh apparently wanted to remake Matango and he talked to Toho about it and couldn't come to a deal. Yeah, yeah, I was actually, that's like, I, that, that like, my previous statement kind of triggered that in my head is like, oh, I should, we should ask John about that. But yeah, no, that's another thing is, I mean, that was some interview Soderbergh was giving about like his new film or something and the interviewer probably had no idea what he was talking about and they were just like oh oh cool whatever uh (laughs) you know so I mean all it takes is like the right person to be in these interviews to get these guys to like talk more but I would have loved to see that um had had kind of hinted that perhaps uh the con the context of the post was very interesting. Uh, someone was trying to remake Matango, and Toho seemed to bristle at that. And the thing about Matango is that it's based on a short story by the author William Hope Hodgson. So Toho don't own that story. He made it sound like the problem. The thing was, Toho had found out that someone had wanted to do another version of that story. And they kind of 
felt entitled to it, so they rebought the film rights to that story <laughs> to block. Oh, interesting! To block the Hollywood remake, <laughs> which is very. I like I said. I mean, this is kind of uh, elaborating a little bit on what he had said. So I don't have clarification, and so it's just my theory. But it would be a very Toho move to do that. Toho seem very hell-bent on keeping a lot of their movies kind of in, like, just sitting there collecting dust when someone could be doing something interesting with them. And if that is the case, that just upsets me to no end because it means they had a, an adaptation an adaptation of a property that they weren't doing anything with. And just because they felt like they need to have, like, the version they would block the release maybe in some kind of attempt to get money for something that they don't have the rights to outright and it's it that's a fr- if that's true i'm not saying it is like i said this is just all speculation if that's true that's frustrating oh john you know what just resurfaced um and i think i think it surfaced after the book came out but uh speaking of matango did you know there was a tv adaptation of that same short story for a black and white anthology series kind of like a twilight zone type series i had no idea like in japan or no it was was, was here in the states the show was called suspicion and uh it was it was like an alfred hitchcock presents kind of anthology show and they did their own version of the same short story and uh matt and i had talked about it on our matango episode and i was like yeah i've never seen this i don't know where to find it and what and one of our listeners actually emailed us and said hey i found it on youtube um and in the version on youtube it's it looks like it's like a sixth generation vhs version or something but it is there uh, it is out there it is, and uh yeah i think that just surfaced on youtube like a few months ago but uh yeah i'll i'll have to maybe send you send you that too it's 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 an interesting uh like i said the quality isn't very good but it's it's the best we're probably ever going to get uh but uh like nighttime scenes it looks like you're just looking at like a blank screen but i just close my eyes and pretend i'm listening to an audiobook or something <laughs> yeah please do send it cuz i'm i'm very intrigued and it might be something for the the spin-off book to talk about yeah yeah um yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when it comes up, it says Alfred Hitchcock's suspicion, but Alfred Hitchcock had nothing to do with it. He directed one episode of that show, and I think maybe the version on YouTube is maybe like maybe they reran it after Hitchcock got famous and put it on there and tried to like sell it that way. But no, it's really interesting stuff. Uh, like I said, I didn't even know that it had surfaced until Matt. When did we get that email? Like a month ago. It's been a little more than that, but I mean, like, it's not, it's it probably within the past three months or so, I would yeah. think. Yeah, okay. Um, but no, yeah, yeah, John, it, I mean, like, I, I mean, if it, this conversation has proved anything, it's that there's always going to be more things to talk about. And to have you out there fighting the good fight and bringing it to us uh, is, is, we're, we're very fortunate because. Um, you know, some people might not care. They might say, oh, well, it never got made, so who cares? But, I mean, I, th- I think it's fascinating to see all these early versions and, and just seeing how the writing process is. Man, this, it, the book is really good. I, I just if, you, if you're listening to this, to this podcast and you're on the fence, just, just go buy the book. Just don't be stupid. Buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, oh, John, you know what else? Uh, this is just an idea, but uh, especially with Bagon, and, and you mention it, I think, when you talk about Mechanicong, um, and, and also how like some suits and designs were reused for shows like Caesar X and Grand Caesar, but uh, um, uh, the Bagon design was used for um, a few shows from uh from Subaraya like Gridman and uh Ultraman Great I think. Uh, wasn't it Killazy and that the right, name yeah, the, the yeah. monster and yeah. Gridman which was superhuman samurai what Matt what was it? It's like a tongue twister. Uh cyber something. I, I watched it as a kid. It was interesting. <laughs> oh, I know what show you're talking about now too. I watched that as well. Yeah, yeah. That was the uh, that was like the Saban samurai squad of yeah. Gridman. I, uh, I did forget, too, to mention one thing that you just brought up. Um, Kawakita used some of the Millennium Kaiju suits for uh, his little, is it Justerizers? Is that how you say that? Well, yeah, there sure were, well, there were three shows. There was Grand Sazers, Justerizers, and Sazer X. And yeah, um, throughout those, they, they did a few things. Um, like, yeah, there was, a, there was one that was obviously Hetera. And then there was another one that was like a redesigned Megalon. There was one that was like a redesigned Me- uh, Mecha Kong. I think a lot of monsters that he would have wanted to do in he- the Heisei series but didn't, I think he was like, well, I'll just make this other monster that looks a lot like this monster. That, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah they also reused my... the Gotengo, too, from, from Final Wars, right. and it's actually on the show, so that's cool as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used it in the movie, which Omori had Omori directed the movie. I think maybe that has something to do with it. But they use the uh it's the scene that's in like the beginning of Final Wars. The mm-hmm. that was yeah. it's the it's the the prop that's like the classic Gotengo before the Don Fry version. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to track down those uh I'm trying to figure out who made those it was made by Toho, so that stuff's probably in my. I have that Toho encyclopedia book. I'm gonna go check out some designs now after this. Yeah. Well, well, um, uh, Nishikawa did the design work for it, so um, a lot of that is in his uh, his book. Yeah, man. That's oh, and uh, Justerizers is available English dubbed. Apparently, I did not know that. Huh. I didn't know that either. I did watch the English subtitled uh, Just Risers movie on YouTube, but uh, that'd be interesting to see an actual English dub. Yeah, who uh, is it? It's not a fan dub, is it? I I don't know. Huh. Um, I, I'm just I'm I was searching as we're talking on my phone, and it's available on uh, Daily Motion. So like, who knows if it's legit or not? But like, I'm seeing a ton of episodes that all say English dub. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, Hiroshi Koizumi play reprises role as Professor Chujo, uh, Chujo from Mothra and Tokyo SOS on an episode of uh, Grand Sazers, which was the. Oh, I, I should ask you. Like, I I think I put that in my book, and then like now I'm not sure if that's actually correct. Like, did you get that from my book, or did you get that from someone else? Uh, I actually remember when it happened. Uh, so I actually, I, oh, okay. I yeah, I have the episode on a VHS tape somewhere. See, I thought I was crazy. I thought I put this erroneous information in the book, and I felt so bad about it. So I'm glad to hear that. Well, actually. no, yeah, I, I will verify. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm okay. Yeah, I yeah I I remembered he, reading about it in like a tiny blurb in G Fan, and then I was like, oh, that's interesting. So that was back when everything was on VHS. So through the gray market, <clears throat> uh, I I'd gotten that episode, and he is indeed well, there. 
tell me this is, is that show supposed to somehow be in continuity with Tokyo SOS or like, what's the deal? I don't know. Because aside from him showing up and like talking to the characters about like things going on in the show, in that episode there, that's, that's all he does. There's no mention of anything else is going on. I think, I think the show was, my best guess is the show was on at the time that Tokyo SOS came out and they were like, how do we capitalize on this? And they just put the character in there just maybe to coincide with the release. But uh, yeah, there's no indication that outside of that character just existing, (laughs) that it could be in the same universe as any, any Godzilla or anything else. It's very strange. Like, it would be like if uh, Bane showed up on an episode of Gotham and it was, like, Tom Hardy. And it's like, well, is this supposed to be in the same yeah. world as Dark Knight Rises or is – what is this? <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it was a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I had to reach for that one. <laughs> um, but, no, yeah, the lost films, man, uh, the – it's a great book, and uh, the continued research of John LeMay on this topic uh, I definitely think is worth looking forward to because, uh, like I said, I mean, this book, just the way that you go into detail about where you got the information, uh, the translation methods, the things that you're still unsure of, um, it was all very... Uh, it was It was so much more thorough than what I was expecting and it just, it, it really is a labor of hard work and a lot of patience and, um, it's the most comprehensive, um, thing we're probably ever going to get on the subject. So I, I heartily recommend picking this up and, uh, John, I don't know if there's a way that benefits you the most, uh, is Amazon good or no, Amazon is spectacular. Um, I, I kind of used to turn out my nose to self-publishing, but honestly you make so much more money on self-publishing than you do with a big publisher with a big publisher. You'll get a dollar a book and that's it. But on these, I get about three to $4, which is really nice, you know? So Amazon, definitely the, the best way to go. All right. Yeah. Get on Amazon, throw this man some, some money because, uh, the lost films is, um, it's, it's going to be a book that I think throughout the years will be referenced, um, in talking about this subject. It is the most comprehensive and thorough guide to unmade kaiju movies and uh also just really fun reads are the big book of japanese giant monsters volumes one and two uh if you want something that's fun and quick and brisk or uh if you're newer to the genre and want to kind of you know uh kind of have like a handy guide to the movies and different facts about them uh this is a really good place to start but lost films especially i i was very impressed by and like I said, John's research goes beyond what you'll find online. It, it goes beyond what you'll find on Toho Kingdom and uh, a lot of stuff that um, he had the nerve to go straight to Japanese sources. And uh, a lot of stuff in here you will only find there. Um, so, yes, I, I recommend picking up the book before we wrap uh, thank up. Thank you for being on the show and everybody buy the book. 
<laughs> well, thank you, Matt, for letting me use your laptop for my, my presentation at G-Fest. I, <laughs> right. I think that was actually the first time I'd ever spoken to you. It was like, can I use your laptop? And <laughs> Matt's such a nice guy. He just left it with me for a couple hours and trusted me with it. And it was, it was awesome. So Right, yeah, because your panel was immediately following ours. Yeah, and then yeah. I lost in the crowd for like five hours, and you're like, dude, yeah. where did you go? I, I got to get this laptop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, I have to ask, and this is off topic from the Lost Films, uh, and because you've written at least one very thorough and dense and research to hell G Fest article about this movie, and I don't remember if it was in one of the big books uh, that you mention. Uh, but you love Toei's movie, Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Uh, That's correct. It's, you love it's that almost... movie. And I don't, I don't remember yes. if it was on a website or maybe I saw an interview with you. But someone had you had said it's one of your favorite Japanese kaiju movies. And please allow me to ask, with all due respect, uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to understand, I saw it when I was four years old and it terrified me. And I couldn't actually finish it. And I, I saw it again when I was like 10 years old. And when I was 10, like the dinosaur props, they still didn't look too bad. And like to me, the movie, like aside from those awful dinosaur props that now I can recognize are awful, like I just think it has the most awesome direction. Like I think that's like it's so artfully directed and so 1970s. That I, I just like I love 1970s movies. I think that's why. Oh, but it's yeah, very 70s. I'm un, unabashedly, uh, unabashedly, I love that movie. Uh, well, I don't have a problem with anybody that hates it, but me personally, I just I adore it. Love it. I just it. had to ask because that's such an interesting. What's your favorite kaiju movie? No one, no one else on earth is going to say that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh but no, like <laughs> I remember really you had a, you you had a, you had an interview in or not an interview, but you did an article in G Fan that was like huge <laughs> all about that movie. So Oh yeah, uh, it was a love letter. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So not only is John uh an expert and researcher on the Lost films, but if you have any questions about Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds, please reach out to John LeMay because he has an odd, unhealthy obsession with that film. <laughs> Bird bought Ape twice on DVD somehow, so I don't I want to hear him complain about stuff. Come on, man. Ape is not my favorite <laughs> movie, though. Come on. But you bought it twice. <laughs> <laughs> you bought the DVD, and then you had to buy the Blu-ray, didn't you? Well, yeah, well, the Blu-ray... Well, if anyone can understand my reasoning for that, it's going to be John. Because Ape no. is a very obscure movie, and it had a commentary track. And I was like, I want to know more about this thing, and I can't find any online resources that will teach me. It's a terrible movie, and I don't really like it, but I want to know about it. And so I wanted to hear that commentary track. John, you would say that's fair, right? Oh, absolutely. And I was actually going to say, if you guys ever want to do like a two-hour-plus podcast on legend of the dinosaurs i am available <laughs> well legend of the dinosaurs is something we will get to because we in our quest to have a, a, a podcast we want to leave no stone unturned so uh that i will take that as an open invite for you to come back and discuss legend of dinosaur and monster birds with us at some point in the future yeah, I'd be happy to come back anytime. This was awesome. I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, I, 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 yeah, the, so this is like, uh, 
So this is if people have listened and they've gotten this to this ending here, uh, this is like the Marvel post credit scene where the next movie <laughs> is set up. Whether it's two months from now or two years from now, it'll happen. Uh, and I couldn't think of anyone else because I don't know if anyone on Earth has put in the amount of dedication and research towards that movie as you have. So <laughs> I can't think of any better... Uh, uh, guest. So um, uh, that's all I really have to say. Go buy the lost films. Uh, if you have even a passing interest in how these movies come to be, or just want to learn more about these uh, aborted and unmade kaiju movies, uh, Matt, anything else uh, you have um, now that I got my Legend of Dinosaurs question out of the way? No, man, we, we've covered it. Go buy the book. It's great. Yeah, no, John, thank you again for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we will look forward to having you back on at some point. Um, Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Well, uh, we will see you guys next time. Uh, So, yeah, thanks for listening, and good night.